Um, yeah, you can go ahead and start. Am I on? Oh, hello everybody and welcome. <laughs> to a highly technical version of Vineyard Community Church. And I'm sure everybody will really be impressed when they watch it on the internet. We had a slight technical problem that we were working through. And I wasn't sure that we were started, but here we are. And we are working through... Um, the New Testament, one chapter at a time, and today we're up to Luke chapter 5. We've done the book of Matthew, we've done the book of Mark. Then we went ahead and did the book of John. Now we're coming back to Luke, we're going to do Luke and Acts together. And so, uh, uh, it is an interesting way to read um, these two books, both of them written, as we talked about, by Luke, who was a Gentile believer, uh, a historian, if you would, a researcher, um, theologian, all those things, who went back and researched um, all the events of the life and ministry of Christ, back to you know his birth and how he entered the scene um, through his uh, uh, younger years, and then ultimately into his ministry, and he'll continue recording his ministry now until uh, the events of the uh, crucifixion, the resurrection, and then he'll pick up right from there uh, in the book of Acts, and we'll see Pentecost, um, the Spirit coming, and the beginning of the early church, and uh, the recording of the ministry of the uh, disciples as they start the church from there all over the known world. So a pretty interesting way to read this entire sort of chunk of time um, that sort of covers about 60 years or so, uh, beginning with the birth of Christ and then through the first 30 years of the church. So... Uh, it's good to know, I think, Luke, because he wrote so much, um, we, we sort of get a better feel for his, his writings. And he was very detailed in the way he recorded things. Um, he wrote both of these letters or books to a uh, person named Theophilus, which we said meant lover of God. And um, while there is some speculation that, that perhaps he was just writing it to everyone that loved God, which in effect he has, because the whole book's written that way, um, primarily we believe he was actually writing it to Theophilus, who then shared it with the people that he came in contact with. And so um, we have been looking through uh, these first uh, few chapters together. Last week we looked at the temptation Jesus and and uh, what he went through in that and then uh, his beginning uh, to uh, really embark on his ministry, visiting the synagogues and uh, uh, talking about his mission and already facing rejection. Um, when he went to his hometown, we saw that they tried to run him out and actually tried to toss him off a cliff. Uh, not a great uh, start to the ministry, uh, but uh, he persevered and moved on from there. So today we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 5, and if you have your um, Bibles, you can turn there and read along with me. Uh, also, you can just look in your bulletins if you want. All the verses are in there. I think it starts on the back and then flips over and comes along, or there's Bibles in the rows. You can pick one up. I'll be reading out of the New International Version, and uh, this is Luke chapter 5. There's 39 verses. I think we'll start with verse 1. I'm just like that. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, 
With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their seat, uh, sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he'll have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skin, 
and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured in the new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. And blessed be the word of the Lord. That's pretty self-explanatory. Let's call it a night. (laughs) That would be funny, wouldn't it? I should do that some night. Thank you. God bless you guys. (laughs) Okay. We're not going to do that. Some neat things in in this chapter. There's a few that I want to talk about in the few minutes that we have together. Um, Because some neat stuff happens, and and I I like the way Luke records things. Uh, In those first 11 verses that we read about, we see Jesus interacting with fishermen that were to become his disciples. And I love the way that Jesus relates to people about the kingdom of God with what they know and understand. And so in, in the case of the fishermen, um, he was able to say to them, you know, come and you'll be fishers of men. It's, it's like what you know to do, but now you're going to do it in the kingdom of God. And it's very similar to the way he related, uh, the way God related to Moses and to David, David and called them, that they told them that they would be shepherds of men because this is what they understood. Um, this is what they knew in their lives. And, and I'm, it's my firm sort of belief that, that God still does that with us today. That He takes what we know or what we've done or what we're doing and if we'll allow Him to, He incorporates that into the kingdom. Um, for instance, you know, before I got saved, uh, my, my primary way of, of uh, working before I got in the ministry was I used to tend bar and I worked in the food and beverage business. And pretty much that's what's going on now. <laughs> um, other than, you know, I'm not pouring drinks or anything, but I do a lot of the same stuff that I learned how to do back then. You know, I was talking to people and, and, and I got something way better than the spirits that we used to give them, the false ones. We got something better now. And, uh, and the food and beverage thing's still happening because we're still getting together eating. We'll talk about that more later. But, you know, a lot of that stuff, and if you think about how neat it is, God takes a lot of the experiences of our lives, and then he uses them to, to help other people. And, and we've talked about this before, but even the bad stuff in your lives, you know, sometimes the only sense that you can ever make out of bad things in your life is that God can then use them to help other people while they're going through the same processes. And it somehow redeems them. But see, this is the movement of God in our lives. It's one of the things that always amazes me about the kingdom of God and is that, that God's able to take everything. See, even the stuff that the enemy tries for bad, the fascinating thing about God is he can turn them around and use them for good. And, and it's, it's so redemptive. See, it's such a picture to me of redemption, how, um, you know, that, that old life that I had, um, you know, where, where there was so much stuff, where there's so much, you know, um, mess tied into it, but God takes it and uses it, and He brings something out of it. See, and I don't have to live in the guilt and the shame and all the other stuff because God redeems it and uses it for good. And so uh, He He moves into the lives of these fishermen, and and He He demonstrates him who He is in a pretty cool way. Now, so the apparently these guys had fished. Now, these were professional fishermen, commercial fishermen. This is what they did for a living. And it was a pretty good living. 
So you've got to understand, when they walk away from what they're doing, it's a pretty significant response to the calling of Jesus. But they had fished all night and hadn't caught any fish. And, and, and so they'd been going at this all night, right? And they, they packed it in for the day and were washing their nets, and they were done. And Jesus comes out, and he hops in a boat and says, push it out a little bit so I can talk to the folks and, and do a little teaching. And so Peter does. And uh, um, Jesus teaches, and, you know, whatever happens, happens. And then uh, he, he just sort of looks at Peter, and he says, listen, just, just go out a little bit deeper and toss some nets out again. And Peter's like, you know, you're a carpenter. <laughs> this is the response. And, and I appreciate that you, you have a good teaching, but we've just fished all night. We're the fishermen. But because it's you, fine, fine. I, you know, it was a good teaching. Go ahead. Whatever. So they took the nets. And I'm sure they're thinking, we've got to wash these all over again. And they toss the nets out. And there's such a catch of fish that it over, you know, he's got to call the partners. They would work often in, in partners and families back then because two boats were more able to get more stuff. And so John and James get in a picture. And there's so many fish. It, it, it wants to swamp the boats, sink the boats. And I love Peter's response because Peter gets what happened. See, Peter, Peter's pretty sharp. Um, you know, he has his moments and he makes some mistakes along the way, which I like too. Don't you like the fact that Peter makes mistakes and yet God uses him mightily? You know, that's, to me, that's very helpful. Because I don't know about you, maybe you've never made any mistakes, but I certainly have. And yet, he can still, he can redeem the mistakes even. So, so I love to see Peter like that. But Peter, when he realizes, see, because what, what happened was a miracle. It was a God thing. It was a, it was a creator thing. And, and Peter gets it. Peter gets it a lot when, when Jesus is moving. And, and this, this is a miraculous catch of fish. It's like, you know, God called the fish to be in the nets. And so, when Peter, Peter sees this, his response is, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. See, he gets that, that, that this is more than just a rabbi coming by saying a few words. That, that he, he's already connecting with who this is. And it's very similar to the response in Isaiah, of Isaiah in Isaiah 6-5 when he enters into the, the presence and the holiness of God. Because Isaiah in Isaiah 6-5 says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That's Isaiah 6-5 if you want to go and read that encounter. But this, this response from Luke is very similar to that. And, and I think Luke, um, this response from Peter, very similar to that. And Luke is, is drawing attention to that sort of account, I believe, in his recounting of the story. And so there's this, this overwhelming sense of, of the fact that Peter is already beginning to get that this is no ordinary sort of rabbi. That, that he's, he's in the Lord's presence. And... Um, Jesus then says to them, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And so they leave. They're, they're rather lucrative business to go and follow Jesus. Um, and, and he begins to work with them right where they're at and use what they already know. And, and he begins to, to just allow them to go from there in their lives. And these guys, all of them that come along, are used powerfully in the kingdom of God throughout their lives. So I love that picture in the first 11 verses. And, and what it should do is, is let you know that, that as God woos you and draws you into his kingdom, that the things that he has for you to do, um, he'll use a lot of the experiences you've already had to move into those things. And he'll put you in those very types of situations. 
Now, as he, he moves on from there, and, and in the next uh, few verses, in verses 12 through 17, there's this encounter with a leper. And this is a picture of God's heart for people that was so different from the religious leaders of the day because at the time, the lepers were considered outcasts and they weren't allowed around. Um, they, were, they were kept out. They, they weren't allowed into the temple. They weren't allowed into, into those sort of meetings. Um, they, were, they were just basically kicked out of society. And Jesus' response to this leper who falls down before him um, is fascinating because not only does he minister to him, he reaches out and touches him. There's no way that, that the religious leaders of the day would have ever touch this person because um, he would have been considered completely unclean. And Jesus is there to break stereotypes. We've been talking about that. He's, think, he's come to demonstrate what God's love looks like again. And he reaches out to this person and he, he touches him and he prays for him and he's healed and restored. And it's a powerful picture of Jesus introducing the love of God again to people who have, who have lost sight of it because uh, the religious leaders of the day had said everything about rules and regulations and that's all they understood and they'd lost the love, the grace, the mercy, the compassion, um, the entire relationship aspect that God wants with his people. And, and so Jesus is beginning to demonstrate this thing. And remember now, he's got these disciples with him. They see this. This would have been completely foreign to them. This, this is a whole new style of life with God. Something completely different. Everything is, is about to be turned upside down in, in the ministry of Jesus as he introduces the kingdom of God. So it's a, it's a powerful um, connection that happens there. And then there's, a, there's another powerful connection in verses 17 through 26. And, and this uh, is an encounter with uh, a man that's a paralytic. Can't walk. And his friends bring him to the house where Jesus is. And house at the time would have been very small, maybe packed full. You could have got 40 people in there, packed. And, and where Jesus went, there was a crowd. And there was no room to get the guy in. And so um, Luke changes the story a little from the other gospel writers uh, because his readers would have related more to the tiled roof than sort of the thatched palm roof that was probably in existence where the story took place. Um, but since they can't get in through any other way, they, they actually, the other accounts tell us, dig away through the roof and lower this man down to Jesus. And, uh, you know, there's something very Im- important to see there is that um, it's the faith of the friends that Jesus responds to. Seeing, seeing the, the, the faith of the friends, it says that Jesus, um, well, it starts another little interesting encounter, but ultimately heals the man who's paralyzed. Um, but he starts with saying, your sins are forgiven. Now, I want to bring up another kingdom point, because this is, this is something that you need to know. And Jesus makes mention of it here. And it's something for us to grab a hold of. Um, Healing is cool, it's good, pray for it, love to see God do it. And believe that God's still in the healing business today. But as good as healing is, salvation is better. And that's the point that's being made in the process. Now, we sometimes get that a little backwards, and I'll tell you why. Um, because we're very temporal in the way that we live. And by that I mean we're, we're very much motivated by what we can see and touch and feel. 
Um, this is the most real thing in our lives. This, this, everything that is around us is what we consider real. And yet, when we live in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is more real than this real. And, and yet, we have a little trouble embracing that right off the bat. Because it's beyond sort of the normal way of thinking about things. But, but as his kids, when you come into relationship with Christ, you, you've already entered into your eternal life. So you're already in it. Now, you know, this physical life has some limits. And, and certainly, you know, none of us like to go through difficult things. Um, but, but we always go through everything with the understanding that what's coming is better than what's now. What's now can be great. I mean, and, and I pray that it's great for everyone, you know, all the time. But the reality is it's a broken planet. It's a fallen world. And it's not always great. But what's coming is. And so when, when we have... The promise of salvation. We have the very best that God has for us. See, we're His forever. And then everything else is a, is a Benny. And so when we pray for healing and people get healed, that's the coolest thing. But, but sometimes it doesn't happen the way we want. And yet, ultimately, if you're saved, you're healed. Because you get a whole new body at some point. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's not a you know, forever thing. Um, because life with him is the forever thing. And we need to begin to think in the, in the kingdom concept of, of life with him forever. And then always asking for all the blessings and benefits that are promised, always, because that's what we're supposed to do. He wants us to do that. And, and yet knowing that ultimately he's God and he's already given us the very best. And so we go from there. And that's, to me, a part of this story that's happening, because seeing the man's condition, what he did basically was say, okay, you're in. Your sins are forgiven. Now you're, you're, you're clean and you can stand before God. That's what that whole point means. And that's what happens to us when we accept Christ. That's the main thing. Our sins are forgiven. We're made new. We're washed clean. And we have right standing again with God because of what happened. That's, that's what he's saying happened here. Well, the religious leaders don't care for that because they don't think that that's something that Jesus ought to be doing is walking around forgiving people. And so... Um, I, I like this, too, because they, they don't really have... Jesus is already pretty popular. They don't really have the guts to speak out, but they're just thinking some bad stuff about Jesus. And don't you love that Jesus calls them out in that? Why are you thinking those things? That's pretty cool when you think about it. They haven't spoke them. They're just thinking them. And Jesus said, why are you guys like that, thinking that stuff? And then he says, but just so you know, the authority that says you're forgiven says to the man, get up and walk. And he does. See, he's backing up who he is and what he does uh, in, in his ministry. And to me, the thing that you, we have to look at as well is that the religious leaders were so stuck in the fact that they didn't care for Jesus' message that they would ignore the miracles. Or, and they wouldn't be able to glorify God in what took place. And we have to be careful in our own lives that we don't put God into this box of our own making that causes us to miss God. You, you see, it's very easy to get there, too, because we quickly get to this thinking, well, God always does this this way, and God never does it this way. And the moment you get into that thinking, God will do it the way that you think he won't, because he doesn't want you thinking that way, because you can't limit God. Now, we try all the time. That's those little boxes. That's what the Pharisees had done. The, the religious leaders had limited him to what they expected the Messiah to look like. 
And because Jesus didn't fit their box, even though he overwhelmingly demonstrated who he was, they said no. And rather than deal with him, they killed him. That's, that's where that went to. And yet, we can get just like that. It's a religious attitude. And we, we may not go as far as to kill someone, but we'll, we'll ultimately do it because we, we won't be able to see God in the midst of something that's happening. So we need to be very careful because none of us have all this stuff figured out. And, and then another neat thing, and I'm, I'm out of time, in, in verses 27 to 39, um, this basic chunk of scripture is, is uh, uh, again, about something the religious leaders don't like. And I'll tell you what it is they don't like that they see in the disciples of Jesus. They were happy. They had joy. And the religious leaders hated it. It was the thing that they, they, one of the things they disliked the most. Because, see, in their relationship with God, there was no joy. It was all rules and regulations. There's no joy in that. And the disciples of Jesus were joyful. God was with them. He was, they were in the presence of the Messiah. They knew. They, they were figuring out what was happening. And, and they radiated joy that radiated other people. And, and you need to know that as his kids, that's how we're supposed to live. See, this is, this is like that. It's not rules and regulations. A life of a Christian should be a joy-filled life. Because he's with us. He's for us. He's here. And yet, religious attitudes often try and take the joy away. And it shouldn't be like that. It should be a joyful experience. When, when you're with other believers, worshiping God... It should be a joyful thing. Coming together should be something you look forward to, not something that you're forced into. Uh, I, I hate to hear about people, oh, I had to go to church. I, it's like, oh, why? You know, it shouldn't be like that. You should be, it's church. We're going to be together. We're, we're going to hang out. God's there. And, and this joy was expressed all the time, and, and you need to get this, in what's called table fellowship. Jesus would sit down and hang out with people, and they would eat together. And for the religious leaders, this was something that was, was supposed to happen, uh, you know, in the, in the forever time when they were finally brought into their right place with God, having done all this menial religious ritual stuff, that ultimately the reward would be, you know, eternity, and, and, and then everything would be this banquet and feast sort of thing, which was a picture, and Jesus brings it now, and he's doing it with sinners, and they hate it. But see, that's a, it's a picture of life with God and relationship with God. You know, people always tease me about food here. Why we do the food all the time? It's a table fellowship thing. It's, it's as biblical as it gets. It's a picture of relationship with God forever. Hanging out and eating together and enjoying one another. And enjoying His presence. See, that's what it's all about. And, and, and that's a picture of what's happening here. And I'm, I'm, I'm out of time. But the, the, the religious leaders hated it. You've got to know that's one of the things they hated. And when you see any group that begins to have issues with joy, something's gotten off. All right? Because it should be a joyful thing. It should be a joyful experience to know Jesus. And, and that's what we're shooting for and where we're heading. And that's what Luke talks about here in chapter 5. Amen? Amen. Is anybody upstairs to turn off the video? Good. Okay. Uh, if you're watching in Williston, thank you guys. God bless you. I'll see you soon. We'll pray for one another. And if you're watching on the internet, if you need anything, call us, write us, email us. We'll see what we can do. But we're going to shut it down for the day. And uh, we'll pick it up next week in Luke chapter 6.
Okay. If you have prayer requests, please.